Does everyone have a pin? Everyone get a pin? Okay, so I'm going to set these down over here. Turn some lights on so you guys can see what you're writing because you will need to take notes tonight, like always. Uh, welcome back. Uh, we took a last weekend off of uh, meetings since it was Columbus Day weekend. Hopefully you guys had a restful extended weekend. I can just live down there. So welcome back. Uh, we're going to continue going through our scripture notebook, uh, the Gospel of John. So if you have that and you want to open it up to John chapter 5, that would be great. To open up, I have a question. I, I want to ask you guys, are, are there some things that are hard for you to learn? Maybe a particular subject in school um, is hard for you to understand, or there's some things in life uh, that are hard to understand, that you just don't really understand why they happen uh, or how things work. Uh, who in here has some examples of things that are hard to understand or subjects that are maybe harder to learn? Yes, summer. Math. Math's kind of hard, yeah. Calculus. When you, when you get into high school and your senior year, if you are blessed with the opportunity to take calculus, it is really confusing. Yes, Amber, you had one? Musical instruments are hard. For me, I, I have a quick example. Cars. I don't understand like how to fix cars. When my oil change thing goes off, I know to take it into the shop. I don't even try to mess with it. Yes, Josie. A new language, yeah. Sometimes new languages are hard to learn. Yeah, JJ, you got one? Your dad's a mechanic? Okay, good to know. I'll keep that in the back of my mind. You got one? Patience. Oh, yeah, patience is a good one. That's hard to learn. Aubrey, last one. Other people are hard to learn. Yeah, why they do what they do. Yes, people are very complex. Joe, you got one? You forgot? That's okay. Okay, so we there's certain things that um, are, are hard and confusing to learn. So just like that, um, those things, whether it be math, people, patience, cars, just like there are those things that can be confusing and hard to learn about in school or in life, there are some things in the Bible that are hard to understand, yeah? Like, do you just read the Bible and you understand everything clearly the first time you read through? No, there's some really hard things to understand, especially when learning about who God is. There's some things about God that we can know to be true, but we may not understand them fully. And one of these things is what we call the Trinity, Right? The Trinity is one of the hardest things to understand. We can know certain truths about God as being triune, but it is hard to understand fully. And I will give a reason why we're talking about the Trinity. And you're like, why are we talking about the Trinity? And we're supposed to be talking about John 5. I'm going to give you a crash course on the Trinity to set up the passage in John 5 because I think it is necessary to do so. The Trinity. If you describe the Trinity, it's a description of God. Um, revealed and understood that there's three different persons to who God is. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's a fundamental doctrine of Christian theology. Now, here's what's crazy. The word Trinity doesn't even appear in the Bible. However, the doctrine or the belief is based on several Scripture passages 
that are found throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. So even though the word is not specifically in the Bible, there are a lot of verses that form this thinking, this idea that God is triune in nature. So here are the three basic principles of when we say we believe in the Trinity, this is what we believe in. Number one, that there is one God. We would all affirm that there is only one God that we worship. Number two, though, there are three distinct persons, though. There's one God, but he reveals himself in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, or who we call Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. They all possess the necessary attributes of God. And the third fundamental truth about the Trinity is that these three are not identical. They interact with one another and their identities are formed with respect to one another. They act distinctively, but in unity, but are in unity with one another. Now, that's a lot of words just to say this. When we say we believe in the Trinity, we believe God is three in one. It's one God, three distinct persons. All three are fully God, but they have distinct roles, and they have... Uh, they. They have a distinction that they are separate persons, but yet one Godhead. So it's important to know these truths about the Trinity because, one, this separates Christians from any other religion. Because mainly we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, which he was actually God in human form. No other religion professes that Jesus was fully God and fully human. Daniel, you got a question? Right. So that doesn't say that Jesus isn't fully God, but they have three distinct roles, right? So we'll get to that in a moment. I have that part. So I'll answer that question hopefully soon. So it, no other religion that believes that Jesus was fully God. The Jewish leaders, known as the Pharisees, also didn't believe that Jesus was God. And this is clearly seen in our passage that we will be studying today. And this is why I wanted to give you a really crash course on the Trinity, because it sets up the tension between the Pharisees and Jesus. So, if you have your scripture notebooks with you, please open up to John 5, verses 17. John 5, verses 17. If you don't have your scripture notebook, I do have it on the board. First John, or not First John, just the Gospel of John 5, 17 says this. Uh, we'll read 17 through 23 first. Jesus responded to them, My Father is still working, and I am working also. And this is why the Jews began to try began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal to God. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed." And just as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so the Son will also give life to whom He wants. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but gives all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. 
Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So there's a lot of words there. There's a lot of truth there. And I just want to break down this passage real quick. And we got two more passages that we're going to look at that kind of flow from one to another. And so um, a a couple things to note of is uh, in verse 18, we see Jesus calling God his own father. And the author of John makes this distinction that by doing so, he makes himself equal to God, that he himself is fully God being the son of God. So that's a first thing that we see here. We, but, even though we see this in verse 18, what Daniel pointed out, we do see a distinction between God the Father and God the Son. We see that God the Son is equal in deity, but they have different functions. So that God the Son will do things that God the Father tells him to do. So there's a little bit of a hierarchy. That doesn't mean Jesus is less God than God the Father, but there are different roles, right? So just, for example, and we'll just use Daniel for example. Are you a Govay? Is your dad a Govay? Are you less of a Govay than your dad? But does your dad tell you what to do? So you see that you're, you carry that name. You carry that dent identity. You have the DNA of a Govay in you, right? But yet you have a different role because of your relation, right? So similarly... I hesitantly use illustrations for the Trinity because there is no perfect illustration because you can't understand the Trinity fully because you'll always break down somewhere with an illustration. But similarly, you have Jesus is fully God, but there's a different role, okay? So we, we see a distinction, but yet we see that they are equal. So like things like verses, uh, when you look at verse 18 in your scripture notebook, some things to like highlight or underline. Right, we see that um, uh, in the end of verse 18, that he was calling God his own father. He made himself equal by doing so. Um, But in verse 19, we see that the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what God, but only what he sees the father doing. So that's a, a distinction between the role of God the son and God the father. That's something to note um, if you are circling or highlighting things. In the next couple of verses, we, um, we see this idea of different tasks. We see uh, that the Father, in verse 22, it says, The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. This is an important role that we see Jesus having, one as judge. Now, I don't know how, about you, how many of you, but before really reading this passage, um, I, I don't think it's really said in that Jesus is going to be my judge. That God the Father doesn't judge me, but God the Son does. That that is a, uh, a role that is given from God the Father to God the Son. Yes, Daniel, another question. So all three were present. So Jesus says this in other scriptures that before the beginning, I am, or I was. And so before the beginning of creation, you had God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit loving one another perfectly in community. So that's something that we see in certain passages um, in the Bible that I don't have memorized right now, but I would love to give you those later. 
So we, we see um, that the Father, God the Father, has given the role of judgment to Jesus, and that is key to keep in mind as we continue our passage. But also, lastly, in this passage, in verse 23, we see... Um, this idea that the Son and Father are one, though. They're distinct, but one. If you read verse 23 in your scripture notebooks, not 23, 16, sorry, verse 16 in your scripture, nope, I lied, it is verse 23. Read verse 23 in your scripture notebooks, so all the people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And so we see a unity between the Son and the Father. If you Obey one, you obey them all. If you dishonor one, you dishonor them both. So we see a unity between the persons of the Trinity. We see a distinction in role, but see we see a unity. And so we see the Trinity, one God, three distinct persons, something that we can't fully understand and comprehend, but we can know those things to be true based off of certain scriptures in the Bible. So, if we continue going, knowing what Jesus kind of laid the foundation for, let's continue reading in John 5. So, verse 24 through 30. Truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, I tell you, an hour is coming and now is, is now here when the dead will hear the voice of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, he is also, also he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has granted him the right to pass judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all who are given, who are all in the graves will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of condemnation. I do nothing on my own. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Okay, again, a lot of words, a lot of confusing thoughts if we uh, just look at it at face value. So let's just go through some of these things and uh, catch a big picture of what Jesus is saying here, because this is Jesus talking to these Pharisees, remember, who don't believe that he's God. And so he is talking at them. So let's get some big ideas. So one, we see Jesus um, as the judge over humanity, and he basically says this. Those who hear the word of God and believe will be given the verdict of innocence and will have eternal life in heaven with God. But those who do not believe and live their life rejecting God will be given to the verdict of guilty and will spend eternity in hell forever in torment and unable to be with God, Jesus, and this is the big point at the end, Jesus is the judge that decides. Now, this decision that, you know, basically what, what happens here is Jesus judges based off of what? Jesus says in here, yes, Daniel. Um, kind of not quite, though. So he says it in the last verse of verse 30. Well, he actually says in verse 29 and 28. So it says, Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming out when those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things, they will go to the resurrection of condemnation. 
So on the face value, so it looks like, oh, those who do good will go to heaven. Those who do bad will go to hell. But what is good and what are people who do wicked? What this is alluding to is the people who do wicked are those who have never received Christ, who don't have a right relationship with God, and those who do good do have a relationship with Christ, and those, um, uh, they do believe in, in Jesus for their salvation. So, let's just break down a little bit, because the Bible says that no one is righteous, no, not one, and even our good deeds are as dirty as filthy rags, and the only thing that makes us even worthy for God to be in relationship with is if we accept Christ's sacrifice on the cross, that payment for our penalty of sin covers our sin, so God does not see us as sinful, but sees us as perfect, and then we'll be in a right relationship with God the Father. Okay? And so when that happens, then we can truly, and only then can we truly do good, and good is something that glorifies God rather than serving self. self. So, if we want to enter into eternity with God in heaven, we have to accept Jesus as our Savior. And if that doesn't happen, if we don't make that choice, that decision, then we will spend eternity in hell with God. And that decision to be in relationship with Jesus is something that can't be just pushed off. Like, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. I mean, either this verdict that Jesus will pronounce on your life when he is the judge and you are standing before him, either this happens you know, when he comes back and judges the earth, or when we die. We don't know either of those times. We are told that Jesus could come back instantly, and we are not promised to live another day if he doesn't come back within, like, like if he doesn't come back, we are not even promised to make it into the point where he comes back. So, for example, just two days ago, I think it was Thursday, never mind, three days ago, there was a man in Eureka. He was 23, I believe, 23, 24, just married, been married for maybe a year, had a heart attack and died in the morning. It was like Friday morning, 23. That's younger than me younger than any of the leaders in here. He didn't know that, that that was going to happen to him. I don't know where he was at relationally with God. I don't know much about his spiritual life. I just know, um, I know of him, but I know him in that way. Um, but he, I know that he was 23 and died Friday morning because of a heart attack. And so none of us are guaranteed to a certain age. None of us are even guaranteed tomorrow. So, if this is something that, um, that you're here tonight and you've never trusted or believed Jesus as your Savior, like, I, I plead, like, talk to your small group leader because the reality is that you right now stand guilty before God. You stand guilty before Jesus if you have not accepted Jesus' sacrifice for your life and believe in Him as your Lord and Savior, you are guilty. And if this is you and you want to change that verdict from guilty to be declared innocent in God's eyes, please talk to your small group leader during small group time. And we would love to lead you through that process, through that time.
But this is something super serious. And Jesus made it a point to discuss this, to show that he is the judge. Yes, he died for you. He loves you. When he came first into the world, we read this in John 3 when uh, Mr. Hantak was teaching. He died because he loved you, and he did not come then to condemn the world, but to save the world. But when he comes again, he will come in judgment. So the, the one who died and was worthy, we just think about it, is worthy of all our praise and all of the glory. He's also worthy of the one to justly judge us. So, if you have not put your hope and your salvation in Jesus, please talk to your small group leader. But for those who do confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord, those who do believe that Jesus is God and, and, and took on human form when he came to earth, uh, the ending of chapter 5 is a great reminder for us. So let's read the end of chapter 5, verses 31 all the way through 47. John 5, 31. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that, that the testimony he gives about me is true. You sent me messengers to John, and he testified to the truth. I didn't receive, receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works the Father has given me to accomplish. These are these very works I'm doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who has sent me has himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time, and you haven't seen his form, and you haven't and you don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. And do not accept glory from people, but I know you that you have no love for God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? So, again, a lot of verses. It's a passage of Scripture that's really wordy. We're going to look at it from a big picture point of view so we don't get lost in the details, okay? So, big picture. In these last verses, Jesus is reminding the Pharisees, right, who don't believe him, who are opposing him, or trying to get him to stop performing miracles and loving others well. He is reminding these Pharisees, again, that salvation can only come through believing in him and only believing that he is the Son of God. And as a proof statement or something to prove that he is telling the truth, he says that, you know, if he was the only one that said those things, if he was the only one that was going around and being like, hey, I'm the son of God, then there would be reason to doubt. But he's not the only one going around these things and saying these things. He quotes or looks at John the Baptist as an example of someone um, who testifies that Jesus is the son of God. But then Jesus says, see, I have other people saying who I am. And if that's not enough, the works that I've been doing also testify this. 
we, and this is what we've been learning in the last several weeks at Hype, starting at the beginning of the semester. We have seen miracles that Jesus has done, right? We've seen the wedding at Cana. That was the first sign. And then we saw Jesus heal people. We saw Jesus do miraculous things. And all those things are evidence that, hey, I'm really who I say I am. This backs up the claim that I say that I'm the Son of God, backs up the claim that John the Baptist says who I am. So it's just not Jesus saying this. Like He is showing that there's proof that he is testifying to the truth. Now, the challenge for those who confess Jesus as Lord is this. Do you witness to others of the work that Jesus has done in your life? If you are a believer, if you confess Jesus as Lord in your life, this is my challenge to you. Do you witness to others of the work that Jesus has done in your life? Do I? I mean, what, what does it mean to, to witness? To witness some, something means that you've seen it firsthand. Now, let's see. Who do you think, who in here thinks they have witnessed the coolest thing ever? Has seen the coolest thing ever? What, what have you seen? Ice cream? Yeah, well, ice cream is pretty awesome. So you're, you're declaring yourself a, a witness that ice cream is awesome, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, who else? Who else has experienced something awesome that they're like, hey, I'm a witness to this, that this actually happened? Yes, Mr. Hantak. Helicopter tour in Hawaii. Like, that was probably an amazing thing. You saw a lot of beautiful scenery, and I bet that just took your breath away. Yeah, you witnessed it. You were there firsthand. Uh, something that I have witnessed firsthand is um, when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. I know some of us don't like to remember that. Um... I was living in Chicago. I witnessed the, the craziness of the Chicago Cubs fandom in downtown Chicago, of people honking at 2 a.m. and not getting any sleep that night. Like, I, I, I saw that firsthand. I witnessed that firsthand. And so that's what it means to be a witness, that you see something and then you share it to somebody else. You better believe I shared that story to other people. When people were like, oh, my goodness, how's Chicago with, like, the Cubs and everything? I was able to tell them because I witnessed it. And so for those of us who have a right relationship with God, who have believed uh, in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, like, do you witness, when you witness that, do you share that with others? For those of us who have that, I hope that you've seen the difference in your own lives. A difference of seeing our sin. A difference of when we see our sin, we also repent for our sin. A difference of loving others with humility. And a difference of pursuing godliness instead of pursuing self. Hopefully you've seen a difference in your life after you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior in ways that he's challenging you to grow. And that is a testimony in itself. And that's why we have testimony nights. People are testifying of the things that they have witnessed that Christ has done in their own lives. And it's a testimony to testify to the work that Jesus has done. And that is the, the picture that Jesus is trying to get at at the end of this passage is, hey, like, People testify about me all the time. It's not just me. 
people's lives who have been changed, the people who have been healed, the miracles that have happened and the, the blessings that have happened to people. Jesus is like, other people are saying these things. I'm not the only one going around saying it. I think that is a good reminder for us as believers as well of, hey, Jesus has affected our lives permanently, forever. Are we testifying about that? Are we being a witness to those around us and sharing that? And the last little bit here that Jesus is really coming at these Pharisees in the last few verses of John 5. Jesus is really pounding on these Pharisees' theology and really uh, coming at them because uh, even though Jesus is saying, like, hey, like, I'm the rightful judge and I can accuse you, he's like, I don't even have to accuse you of anything. He says, the thing that you put your hope in, which he says Moses and really refers to as the Old Testament law, that's what the Pharisees are really putting their hope in, right? That's where they're staking their ground, like, hey, we are righteous because of the law. Jesus is saying the law was not meant for you to be to create righteousness. The law was to expose sinfulness. And so Jesus is basically saying, hey, Pharisees, the thing that you put your hope in is really the one thing that is accusing you and condemning you. The law was never meant to be saved. Doing good works, trying to live only by good works, it, it accuses us in the end because we can never do enough good and our bad always weighs out our good. Always. And so Jesus says, don't put hope in yourself or your ability to do good. Put hope in me, who is perfect. Put hope in Jesus, who is perfect. And eventually, they didn't know this, but we do now. They eventually died for our sins and paid the penalty for our sins. That's who we should have our hope in. And because when we put our hope in Jesus, we know that when we die or when he comes back for his church, that we are meant with grace as he calls you brother or sister and welcomes you in to be with him forever and ever. And that's the thing that we should put our hope in. That's the thing that should drive us to desire to be closer in relationship with Jesus each and every day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for tonight. And just thank you for all the students that are here and just able to listen and to read on, on a very heavy passage in John. God, I just pray that uh, the truth that has been spoken tonight, that the students would be able to just hold on to it, that uh, even us volunteers and adults, that we would be able to take something away, God, that we would go boldly out into this world and that we would testify to the truth of your love for us, that we would be able to testify to the change that you've made in our lives that we have been a witness to. God, I just pray that if there's someone out here that doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would open their eyes, and open their ears to the gospel truth, that you love them, that you desire a relationship with them. And the only way that that is possible is accepting Jesus' sacrifice for their sins. God, I pray that if someone here tonight has not done that, that, that would happen tonight. God, I pray that we'd have great discussions in our small groups that we could glorify you in all that we say and do. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.